Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, today's guest is Nick Georgialis. Now, he's a mate of mine. I'm going to declare it fun. But you know, it's not often I get to interview mates. Nick grew up in Canberra, son of Greek migrants. He lived in the ACT when it was just sort of like the sleepy bush capital of Australia. That's where the kid grew up. He's got a background as an engineer, a project manager, and uh, I guess his really big dream was to reshape the way people thought about Canberra and the ACT and revolutionise, and I, I don't use that word lightly, but revolutionise the way people invest in property in Australia. So in 2007, Nick founded Geocon. Now, this is Canberra's first fully integrated property enterprise with capabilities across developing the property, constructing the outcomes, in other words, building the bloody thing, hospitality management, building hotels, investment, sales, conveyancing, and by the way, they lend money to to buy the properties. In 2007, the business had just five employees and $5 million in turnover. Today, there are more than 800 employees and they're turning over in excess of a billion dollars a year. They're building and delivering to the market somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 apartments, just apartments on their own, every single year. Now, I'm going to ask Nick how he started the business. Was it sort of an intuitive play? I mean, what drives him? What were his experiences as a Greek kid growing up in Canberra? I mean, he couldn't even speak English till he first went to school. Why did he go into this environment? What are his aspirations? And really importantly, the Geocon brand. Why do I buy from Geocon? Why would someone select Geocon to buy real estate in Canberra? And what is the personality of Geocon? What is the culture and how does he attract the right people into Geocon so he can deliver the outcomes? It's going to be a really interesting discussion because, to be frank with you, I've never had this talk to my mate and I'm going to drag this stuff out of him. So let's get into it. Nick Georgialis. Welcome to The Mentor. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Did you like that deep voice part, mate? It was very deep. <laughs> Somewhat seductive. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now. Now, this is being filmed, so be careful, okay? So I've got to declare, I know Nick Georgialis for a long time. He's a mate, um, and I'm a big believer in what he does in Canberra, but we'll come back to that. Obviously, Nick Georgialis, he's not here just because he's got a Greek surname, okay? So, uh, and it's not the Nick part. Georgialis, if you didn't guess it, is a Greek surname. I guess uh, from my point of view, I want to know, and I really haven't done this with you in the past, mate, but uh, but I want to really talk about Nick Georgialis, who the kid was. I mean, I, mean I, I don't know much about your family background. I don't even know how old you are. Um, how old are you, mate? 44 this year, 44, 44 years of age. Wife, kids, I know that part, but you tell me. Yes, no, so I've got a wife, Sonia, and we've been married. Actually, we celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary on the weekend. Congratulations. And four children between the ages of 11 and 16, so. All boys and girls, what do you got? Uh, Evie, my daughter's the eldest, and then there's three boys that follow her. And how old's Evie? Because I'm really, She's 16. I was going to recall she was getting up that territory. Where, yeah, she's, uh, so she's going for her L's in a couple of weeks, which yeah, is an right. interesting time in my life because <laughs> it's sort of my little baby that's turning into a young woman, yeah. and she wants nothing to do with me because she's out to pursue her own life and her own well, dreams now. Well, mate, you can't, that is you. It is very much. <laughs> well, <laughs> so it's kind of scary. Her. It's kind of scary when you look at your daughter and you see yourself in her eyes. and you Totally. Go, I'm in trouble here and my daughter is going to get me back for everything I did to my There's parents God punishing that age. you, mate. There is a God. It's coming back. Okay. Nick Georgialis. So Canberra does house a lot of Greek families. I mean, I, there are lots of Greeks who live in Canberra. Why do you think that is the case? Why did Greeks get, why did your family get to Canberra? How did it all come about? Like, tell me the story. Well, look, Canberra's another one of those great 
immigrant cities of Australia, um, there's a whole heap of different communities in Canberra of new Australians. Yeah, but Greeks are smart, mate. They went down there because they probably worked out how to make some money or something. What, what? Look, they're always chasing a buck and that's all they're really chasing is the dream to make a dollar. Um, my parents, my father, in fact, moved to Canberra many years ago building a major project, Belconnen Mall, as a formwork carpenter. That was probably in the early 70s. And then I believe he really did like the city. And I think at that time, interestingly enough, there was more work in Canberra than Sydney City. So he'd been living in Australia for 10 years with his brother, two young Greek lads touring around Australia, living in Sydney and Brisbane in some country towns, and then finally decided Canberra was home. So he journeyed- Opportunity though. Absolutely opportunity and employment opportunity. So there's always been a lot of employment in Canberra. Why do you think, and I've been through my own family, but why do you think immigrants, whether they're Greek or Chinese or Vietnamese or from some other country, South Americans, why do you think- that immigrants can sniff out opportunity, can sniff out work. What's interesting, it's not only sniff out work, it's also sniff out investment opportunity because they're looking for something more, that they may be coming from somewhere that didn't provide the same opportunities, that didn't have the opportunities they may have wanted when they were younger, and they're chasing a dream. And it is the great Australian dream that people do pursue when they come to Australia. My parents found it, I have it, my children have it, and I think new immigrants that come to Australia can see it a little bit clearer. And often it's one of those things that if you see it every day or you have something every day, you take it for granted that it's in front of you. But someone that has come to Australia as a new Australian can see it quite clearly because it's a very different environment to what they're used to. So Canberra posed an opportunity to your dad. Did his brother come down too? He was down here for a couple of years, but he ended up moving back to Sydney and he's still living in Sydney. And did your mum meet your dad? So your mum and dad meet in Canberra or they'd already met? No, they met in Greece. They so met in my Greece. father went back to Greece for a holiday for a little bit and they he met my mother uh, and they obviously fell in love quite quickly and came back to Australia. And so mum and dad settled down into Canberra. Had they had you been born at this stage? No, I hadn't. Right. I was born a swift six months after they got married, which sort of doesn't make sense back then. <laughs> well, it makes sense now. But so you were born in Canberra? I was, yes. Brothers and sisters? Yes, one brother and one sister. One and I'm the oldest of three. You're the oldest yes. of the family. And uh, so you were born and bred Canberra and like you're, you're a fair dinkum died in the wall, uh, Canberra supporter. Uh, what year were you born? Though? Just, 1976. 1976. So you go back to the days of Jimmy Woodger. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Woodger's uh, real estate. And Woodger's pies. Yep. And Woodger's pies. Okay. Well, I don't know if you knew that, but he had a pie business called Woodger's Pies. It was on the uh, the uh, Canberra Raiders jersey. Yes, the original sponsor. Yes, yeah. that's right. And I then he that. became a big real estate business and he, had, and he was also a big uh, petrol business. So it was actually my first exposure to Canberra and uh, like – we're going back a million years ago, and um, and Jimmy was a friend of mine. He still is a friend of mine. Um, he was a to me was a visionary. Um, he had a big vision for Canberra, and he recognised a bit like your dad the opportunity that existed in Canberra beyond all other places in Australia. But there have been a lot of people who have recognised the sort of richness that Canberra offers. What do you think, growing up in Canberra as a kid of an immigrant family, what did that do to your personality? Did that form anything? That, in relation to your personality? Look, I, I think there's a whole heap of things that contributed to forming my personality. Uh, as a young kid, and interestingly enough, I didn't actually learn to speak English till I was five. So I was born in Australia, and I remember very well the first day I started school and walking into a room and going, hang on, what language are these guys speaking? <laughs> What's going be... on here? It was actually quite a shock to the yeah, system, totally. but I remember it quite vividly. And so I was one of those young kids that got put into the ESL class, English as a Second Language. And you got introduced to all the other kids that didn't speak English, nor did they speak Greek either. No, but, you so know, no one could understand anyone. Everyone spoke a different language. That's right. But uh, it was an interesting time because as a young child, you adapt really quite quickly and quite easily. So I remember adapting, going down to the local school. It was a new subdivision, a new suburb area. So there's a lot of immigrants in those sort of areas. So I certainly grew up in a very multicultural environment. Um, but growing up in Canberra, which was very different to Sydney because it was more like a large country town. And even more so back then as it was today. Sydney's been a, a, a spectacular city for a very long time. Um, what it is today, I think, is, is one of the greatest cities in the world, in fact, and must be in the top 10. And for Canberra, having grown up as a town and me being a part of that, growing up in what, what I refer to as a big country town, probably shaped my character as well. Because it's interesting. I spent a lot of time in, um, I've spent a lot of time in Canberra, but I spent a lot of time in Perth. In fact, I lived in Perth for a number of years. And some of the greatest entrepreneurs in this country come out of West Australia. Twiggy Forrest is a good example of one. I mean, Twiggy had his ups and downs, but like 
today, he's got an unbelievable business, Fortescue. But some of our great entrepreneurs have come out of those places. And when I lived over there, one of the things that I recognised was there was a sense of we are a country town, we're a, we're a lesser place than, say, Sydney or the eastern states when I was in Perth. They used to look at the eastern states as like the big banana, like it was, this is where you got to be. But actually drove them to compete harder. It can actually drove them to be independent of everyone on the east side of Australia and actually build their own force to be reckoned with. Is that the same for people who do you think grew up in Canberra? Because Canberra's much more close to Sydney and probably is far more acutely aware of how they are relative to Sydney. It's interesting you ask that. I, I put it to, there must be similarities between a WA, Perth and Kalgoorlie or wherever it might be in Canberra because they aren't enormous cities and they don't have access to the resources that you do in Sydney. So Sydney might have that real dog-eat-dog culture and that real burn and move on to the next person. But places like Canberra and Perth, they're small markets and you really do know everyone and you really do know how people behave. So there's really an emphasis on collaboration, on building long-term relationships. And it's about being the person that you can rely on and about partnering with people or collaborating with people that have that 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 same ethos, that, that same culture. And I think anywhere in the world where you, in fact, look at successful people, more often they're not, they're not from the major cities. The major cities are really trading in, in capital, in big bucks, in big business, and at a global level. But these great businesses, great Australian businesses, as you said, Mark, quite often come out of somewhere like Perth, hopefully come out of Canberra um, or, or wherever it might be. But there's got to be that culture of we don't have the resources. We need to be looking after each other. We need that stronger community. We need that collaboration. And maybe that's something that's, that's really driven out of where you grew up or the environment. And that's sort of the power of a place like, like a, a regional area like Canberra and you're not so regional today, but I mean those days in particular. So that sort of strength of growing up in those environments inculcates into your, your brain, into your system. Like how important is collaboration today, today for you? I mean in Canberra, for example. Oh, it's, it's key to everything. You know, we don't just collaborate internally with all the different business units, we collaborate with government, we collaborate with partners, with joint venture partners, with financiers, with designers. And we don't like to treat people like service providers. We want to treat them more as partners and collaborators. And that's what I've really realised. And it's, you know, this isn't something that I knew from day dot. This is something after many years of hard work that I've realised that collaboration and partnering with people gets you far further ahead than just treating people like service providers. It's funny, you know, because uh, just I know people who used to say during some of the glory days in West Australia, um, I'm going back to the 90s and the early in the two, early 2000 period, that if you weren't from Perth, and it's probably the same thing applies in Canberra, you sort of were locked out because the local government in Perth, the state government, would generally speaking be dealing with the Perth people because it's natural, you knew each other. I mean, you met each other at the pub or you saw each other at the same restaurant or your kids went to the same school or you went to the same church or you're part of the same community, whatever it might be. And I guess the same applies in Canberra. Maybe another way of looking at it if you're not from the area is that you're not getting locked out, but those people who live in there, are it's a collaborative environment because you have to collaborate because the actual fact is we in Sydney probably lock you out. It's interesting you say that. It's the, and I, I, I put it down to the ins and outs of a market that every market has its own nuances. And coming to Sydney is very different to Belconnen in Canberra, which is different to the south side in Canberra. And there's different micro markets within a macro market. And I think having been born and bred in Canberra and understanding the dynamics of the marketplace, and there's always even, for example, you wouldn't know this, but there's a divide, north versus south side, that people that grew up on the north side would never live on the south side and vice versa. You're talking about Canberra. Correct, correct. But people outside of Canberra won't understand that. Well, so we're like that in Sydney. Yes. Because like my whole family lives on the north side of the bridge and I live on the eastern suburbs of the bridge, east side of the south side of the bridge on the east suburbs. Um, they would say to me that they would never live where I live because yep. they think we're all dickheads um, and I think they're all snobs. And um, you know, so I, it, it's funny. That, that actually happens here in Sydney, but I never thought about it in a place like Canberra. I didn't expect that it would be the same nuance. But you know the nuances. Can I can I ask you a question here? When you were growing up, are you Nick, Nicholas, Nicola? What are you? Nicolaos. Nicolaos. A proper Greek name. Yeah, yeah, it is, absolutely. When you were, you'd learned to speak English and um, I guess you'd, you lost your accent at some stage. Um, when you were 15 years of age, you just go back. Did you have any aspirations? Did you have any of these thoughts? 
did, what, what was going through your head? Were you, were, did you think, oh, I'm going to become a builder like Dad or I'm going to be a carpenter like Dad or I'm going to play footy for the Canberra Raiders or we're going to play soccer? What was going through your head? Look, I don't think I was thinking terribly too far ahead at that particular age. Um, so you're just enjoying life? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And probably enjoying it too much and being that reckless kid. But what were you doing? Like, tell me about you. Were you oh, in like, school, good, normal, good student, uh, hate school, what, couldn't wait to get out? Look, it's, it's interesting. Um, I only actually have a year 10 certificate. I never finished year 12. I was, um, you know, like, loved my footy. Uh, footy, being, footy being rugby, rugby league. league, rugby league, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm, footy. Glad, I'm glad we fucking established that, mate. <laughs> so go on, please. I, mean, I love my footy. Uh, you know, normal knockabout kid that liked to hang out with his mates, liked to get in trouble, uh, wouldn't say no to much if someone told you to do it. Uh, so you'd have a crack? I'd have a crack. Some, have a crack. There, was some, there was an appetite for risk? Oh, there was always an appetite for risk, but there was also a culture of um, working hard because I had that strict Greek parent that would drag me by the ear to help Dad on a Saturday or during the school holidays. Nico, Ella, Ella, Ella. You know the routine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been dragged there and, you know, because there were no handouts and yeah, if yeah. I wanted some money, I had to work for it. And I think that was actually really powerful because I really disliked it at the time because I didn't want to go to work. I just wanted money to be given to me. But it did teach me the importance of a buck and how hard it was to earn a buck. So what would you do on a like? So your dad, I presume your dad, given he was a tradie, he worked on a Saturday. Yep. And so what, would dad drag you along to the? I'd drag me along, make me sweep up, clean things up. There was a time that my dad played a joke with me and make me move a pallet of bricks. And then when I finished it, I said, oh, what do I do now? He says, I'll just move that again. So you know, there's always a bit of fun I had there. And I remember really disliking that, but I, I look back now and can see the humor in it. And I'm going to get my kids with that as well. They just don't know it yet unless they listen to this. But hurry up. Your daughter's 16 already. <laughs> oh, I might leave her out of that. I might not do that to her. The boys I'll too save late. for. Yeah. I'm too, I'm too uh, uh, smitten by her still. And, oh, you know, mate. It, it, yeah. She yeah, just needs to flutter her eyelids and she can Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, but that, that's, that's – I mean, I'm glad I didn't have a daughter. That would have happened to me. It would have been a shocker. I've got four boys, so I was able to actually able to avoid that sort of – Position, I was actually able to be tough on all of them. If I had a daughter, it would have been the same. But at 15, your old man sort of got you to do this on a Saturday. What were your mates doing? Oh, look, a lot of my mates actually worked as well. You know, they might have worked in a supermarket at a service station, been dragged along to work with their parents as well. So I sort of gravitated to people that probably wanted more. Um, you know, they weren't happy with, and I think maybe at that time you might have had a $10 a week allowance or I can't even remember what it was, but that wasn't enough. You know, we wanted more. We wanted to spend more. We wanted to buy things. Uh, so parents, did you see other kids who had better than you? Did you ever look at someone and say, because I remember I went through this process, oh, look where they live with a brick house. Um, their dad's got a cool car, or what I thought was cool. Um, you know, they go to, they got a pool. Did you ever go through that process? Look, I don't think I was ever envious of it. I think maybe that was something that I uh, always looked at and said, how awesome, how incredible. Mm. But, you know, I didn't think that defined who people were. So I didn't look at it and say I'm a, a drawn to people that have those things or even say that I aspired to have that because I didn't understand how things work then. You know, you don't understand that that costs this amount of money or this, it didn't make sense at 15 years of age. You just thought it was cool to have a swimming pool, which we didn't have. Um, but I think one thing that I was gravitated towards was other kids that worked hard, that had that work ethic. There's always a bit of a challenge or someone would say, oh, I got up at five this morning and I went to work. And someone would go, oh, I got up at 4.30 and went to the gym before I went to work or whatever it might have been. So I think there was this competitive nature. So you're competitive by nature? Oh, look, maybe at that time, I don't think I compete anymore because you grow out of that. There's competition and competing can be very dangerous in your adult life because life isn't a competition. You're really running your own race. Were you philosophical then or you become philosophical in that regard because it's, my 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 read on you is that you're very purposeful and to some extent you counter my intuition so i'm i might say that to you um are you competitive but then i get a response or well, competition is dangerous so that's what i mean by counterintuitive yep. so that means there's a lot of thought being exercised in relation to those philosophical things that sort of surround our life. Were you always that way? Was some, did someone influence you to be that way or is that something you've learned along the way? Look, I think that's something that I learned, certainly learned along the way. And, um, you know, because originally a lot of my decisions that I made were organic. So you don't actually realise the decisions you're making. You mean instinctive? Instinctive, or, yeah, 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 that's right. So they're organic decisions they're, uh, or, or organic um, by nature of things happen or you buy something and it's successful, you do it again. You don't even realise, hey, I've gotten onto a real good thing here, here are the dynamics or the elements that make it work. 
let's use those elements. Later on in life, you start to become more strategic. So I feel that I've always been pretty calm and collected. I'm not a hothead. Everyone can be a hothead, but I really try not to be because... Is it because you had a bad experience or, I mean, have they given you bad outcomes? Correct, bad outcomes. You know, you make bad decisions if you're not thinking clearly or if you rush decisions or if you're pressured into situations. Taking And, you know, that's competition. You get pressured into a position or pressured into a situation. Um, You might be bidding to buy a block of land or to buy a site. And, you know, that's a competition. And I, and I have a saying that you never get a good deal unless you're prepared to lose it. Mm. So you have to be prepared to lose something. And, and it's really powerful because it's not about being first to the market. It's not about outdoing everyone. It's about running your own race. It's about acquiring things methodically. It's about taking your time. It's about the collaboration and getting everyone on board, getting buy-in from whoever it might be, from your partners, financiers, designers, whoever it might be today. We look at it, I look at it at a holistic view because I have the experience. Back then, it was more about, you know, when I first made my first acquisition, did my wife support me? I need that support to be able to make this acquisition. Did I have a financier that supported me at the time? And particularly with your first investment, it's new territory. You don't understand the ins and outs. You don't understand how it can go pear-shaped. But the strategy of just simply putting one foot forward after the other and being persistent and being calm about it and collected is is critical, I think. Well, it's interesting because oh, you, you've got a business called Geocon now, right? I mean, it, it's a big business in Canberra. You're the largest developer of properties in Canberra, right? Yes. Residential properties, apartments yes. in particular. Yes. Um, and you do other things. We'll talk about that later in the second half. But the personality of your business, Geocon, and for anyone who's listening to this who wants to become a, a big business, um, has by definition your personality just works that way. You're the owner. You're the guy. I mean, I'm not saying that you don't have other personalities within the business, but the personality of the business has to take on the owner's personality by definition. It just does, unless you're absent. And I'm trying to get into my head your personality and I wanted to ask you this because I, I think listeners got to understand this. How much of it your personality is today, what you're telling me, is Nick Georgialis being strategic purposeful and performing in terms of actually presenting a logical, level-headed, intelligent profile, which has become the business, is that Nick Georgialis or is it around the other way? I've got a cheeky one for you, Mark. You know, the greatest trick the devil ever played on people was making them think he didn't exist. So, okay. So shape-shifting, you, you know, you've got a brand, you, you, Nick George Arliss, have got a brand, but Geocon's got even a bigger brand. And people buy your brand. People invest in your property portfolios because they're investing in your brand. That means your personality is really important because it overlays everything. It is, but I'm also just quite normal. You know, I do enjoy having a drink. I do like going out. I do love life. And I'm a very normal person. Uh, and I think one, that's one of the things that, that I can attribute to attracting good people is that I'm certainly very serious. I certainly know what the direction of the business is and I can provide very clear direction to everyone, but I'm just normal. You know, I do enjoy the simple things in life. I like to have a barbecue. I like to have friends over. I like to go away with my wife. I like to uh, do things with kids. I like to hang out with mates. Very simple things. And that's probably a result of being, you know, a pretty down-to-earth sort of kid that grew up. up. Growing up, absolutely. And ha- yeah, and have been told on Saturday, you're help dad. Yep, and I didn't want to, trust me, at first. I wanted to brag to my mates that I was really, really wanted to and that was a competition, but I didn't want to go to work at 6 a.m. No, totally, and but, but, but still those things parlay really well into what shapes your personality, which then shapes the business personality because at the end of the day, we're going to talk in the second half about your business and Geocon is a brand. I mean, you're, you're, you're asking people to invest in Canberra. Absolutely. And there's all the, you know, we'll go through all the reasons why, you know, there's fundamentals, why you should. That, that brand thing sort of tips them over a bit, you know, like it's, there's just something s- sexy there and there's a reason why I should actually go along to Canberra. Cause you know, you've got to give them, you just got to tip them over that, over the edge there. You've got to say, well, go to Canberra instead of Badgerys Creek, go to Canberra instead of Melbourne. Yes. Look, without a doubt. And, and I'll talk about all the attributes of Canberra that are really strong, but to go back why Jericon is what it is and, and why my character is, I actually didn't learn how to do anything. No one told me about it. I didn't read it in a book. And so I don't have these ideas that may get pressed into people today about how to invest or how to start a business or how to lead people or how to manage. 
that a lot of that has been learnt through the school of hard knocks, through trial and error, through being persistent, through not giving up. And so what I think is, you know, my personality as a, as a young kid growing up, we had to shape yourself, shape your own identity, has also led into my professional career about shaping this organisation that was started with nothing. That organic nature of it and just discovering it is quite unique, I think, in today's market. I just want to have one, one quick question then, because like a lot of listeners, you know, we got a lot of listeners and they're, some of them are really ambitious and aspirational. Would you call yourself aspirational and ambitious, like for yourself, or are you aspirational and ambitious for what you want to do? Look, there's no question I'm aspirational and ambitious, but I don't let that take over and dominate my personality because as soon as you start to do that, you potentially can become egotistic. Mm. And they're, they're, that's quite a bad trait to have as a leader. What about your ambitions to change the shape of Canberra, what, the way it looks? What drives you? What, what's, what's pushing Nick Georgialis to do the great things he's doing and also take the risks that you take? I mean, there's a sense of you have to take risk. and You, can't, you don't get reward unless there's some risk involved. There's, there's huge risk. But one, probably one of the most rewarding things is, in fact, delivering a building and standing back and seeing it and being proud of it. It's standing out in the landscape, it being a, a sculpting the landscape, it being an architectural marvel, um, providing amenity, housing people. So there's a whole heap of satisfying things that I get out of that. There's all these drivers about growth, but it's not just the growth of the business and it being about money anymore because it is about growing with people, growing Canberra, now also growing a legacy. So it's beyond just being profitable because we are profitable, we are successful, we understand the market, we get everything right, but now we're building a legacy. And it's one of those things that, what is it going to look like in another 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, or in fact, in 50 years? I don't know, but, you know, it's very exciting. And so that's what I'm aspiring to, is to what is that legacy I'm leaving behind? And what I do today is really part of that legacy. It sounds like a great adventure to me. It's like, uh, I mean, I hate to go back to this, but it's, it's, which is why I love reading The Odyssey. I mean, to me, business life or life generally is like, like the Odyssey. It's just a different style, but it's the same thing. It's an adventure, the whole thing. Everything I look at is an adventure, good or bad. And I guess you're on a great adventure. Let's go to the break. We'll come back. And I want to talk about what the broad shoulders of Geocon looks like. Who's in there? Your people. I want to talk about your people, your culture, how you hold it together. And then I want to talk about the market generally. And just, and we, we should talk about the fundamentals of Canberra too, but why Canberra? What does the market look like? What does your people look and your culture look like? And how do you deliver? Because that's the most important part. And what do you want to change? What's the thing you want to change in Canberra? I'm back here with Nick Georgialis. Um, Nick Georgialis' business is called Geocon. Um, it stands for Georgialis Constructions, I guess. Is well, that could, where it came from? Look, it did initially, and good guess. Yeah. It worked that out quite well. But um, it was just a nice shortened name, and it was sharp, and um, it's what I came up with at the time in 2007. And it's hard to build a brand around a name. Um, you know my position on these things. Brands end up taking on a personality of the people who drive the brand, and also they take on the personality of the output of the brand. In other words, what does the brand produce? Like, good example is Mervac, Okay. Mervac's been producing brilliant residential real estate and other types of things, hotels, et cetera, for a long, long time. Um, and we know that if we buy a Mervac property, it doesn't matter where, generally speaking, it's pretty safe, it's good returns. You Generally speaking, you make money over time out of it. It doesn't fall apart. It's sort of reliable and people love Mervac brand. And Merit, to some extent, is the similar. It's a different type of product, cheaper down the cheaper and the scale of things. But we know that Harry will stand by, Harry Trigoboff is one of the great Australians. He's going to stand by his product. And most times, you know, you'll get a good tender, good return out of it. So Geocon, where's it sit? Where do you spy Geocon to be? It's an interesting question because we've been not in business for an enormous amount of time, really only in business for 13 years. But Geocon in Canberra stands out because we are residential specialists. We really just want to focus on being good at one thing. And you're also the largest out there. Certainly one of the largest out there, and I dare say that we have the most activity on in the marketplace at the moment. We have 2,300 apartments across five projects under construction at the moment. And how many would you have done last year, for example, 2019? So we're doing anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200 apartments every year, year in, year out. And that's sort of what we want to be maintaining, that 1,000 to 1,500 every year. So, you know, we're a business that has our own sales business. We're a construction company. We don't undertake any third-party work for anyone else. We only want to build our own product, which means 
we're quite heavily invested in research and development and making sure we deliver the right product and right outcome for our consumers. Well, can you explain to everyone who's listening what your structure is? I mean, in terms of the units of the business and why did you choose to do everything yourself? Yes. Well, it's because about we want certainty of outcome. So we want to control every aspect of delivery. So the salesperson, the mortgage broking, the property management, the construction, the customer care, and again, it is our capital. Now on construction, it's actually a really key element because we don't deliver multiple types of projects. We're not delivering hospitals, commercial buildings, shopping centers, and apartments. We focus on mixed-use precincts that have apartments as the dominant uh, product. So one of our projects we're delivering at the moment, Republic, it's a 1,250 apartment complex, 150 hotel rooms, 6,000 metres of retail and a 500 lot publicly available car park. But we're delivering that for ourselves. So that is in fact one of the largest residential projects in the country, Republic Precinct. And we are delivering that. Our research and development in how we deliver the detailing, get the balustrading detail right, get the tiling detail, get the waterproofing detail, the bathrooms and the thresholds, making sure that we don't have any long-term defects, making sure that the outcome for our consumers is well thought out and well planned and in fact, the business delivers that day in, day out. So we are focused on being experts in residential development and construction. And we don't want to offer that service to anyone else. We only want to build for Geocon because it is a Geocon product. Is it a Geocon detail? It will get the life that people demand from property. And you're in control of your own reputation then? Brand is everything. There's, I have a saying in the business, if someone's doing a really good job, I hear nothing. The second someone does something wrong, you know about it straight away. And people don't talk about the good things that you deliver. They only want to talk about the negativity. So protecting your brand and being conscious of our consumers, of body corporates, of the marketplace, and making sure that our construction projects are run with military precision, that are safe, that a safe work environment for our employees, and then creating a culture of delivering a great outcome where and I hate to use the word repetitive or it becomes like a factory, but there has to be a culture of having details that we do day in, day out, that we understand where they're not done properly and they are done correctly, whether it being a waterproofing detail or a bathroom detail, they're, they're a critical element of our delivery. Systemization. Absolutely. Yeah. Systemize. It works, and- systemize it. If it doesn't work, get rid of it. Absolutely. That, that is critical. Systemization, because that ensures the right outcome for, the, for your ultimate customer who happens to be a buyer of residential real estate. I, I do know that- and what you're saying here is that your business model that works best for you in terms of, particularly in terms of the number of outputs that you provide every year, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 a year, that's a lot. Apart from being systemized, you internalize. In other words, you control it, you take control of it. Um, but you're also got to go out there and get that sexiness, that flair. You, you want to do this building to make it look a little bit different to the next building. The building itself has got to have a little bit of pizzazz. And I understand who's the architectural firm you use to, build all these really cool shit. like uh, Bender Katsalidis. Tell me a little bit about them because I, I have heard, obviously Katsalidis be a Greek guy, but uh, are they Melbourne-based? They are Melbourne-based yeah. and they do have an office in Sydney as well. And they're pretty famous. They're phenomenal architects and they're people that have changed the way we view what we deliver as well. So we in fact just handed over the first building that we partnered with Fender Katsalidis to deliver. Uh, Midnight Hotel and Midnight Apartments. Oh, stay there, bloody beautiful. Thank you. Well, actually, that's a very exciting project because um, it isn't just our first five-star hotel. It's, in fact, a Marriott hotel, and we are the first Marriott franchisee in the country as well. So it's a big deal for us that they can recognise the infrastructure and governance that we have in our business, that they will partner with us and allow us to use the Marriott brand. But apart from the, how well-built it is, it's actually quite beautiful. It's very cool. It's, 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 it's artistic. It's creative. Yeah, yeah. And Fender Catsalitis... And David Sutherland, who is an extraordinary designer and influencer of mine as well. Um, The way a building lives and breathes and how it comes together and how it works for people that live there, people that visit there, is all part of that. What we pull together and how we build it and the engineering of these architectural marvels is a key part of it. But every building having its own identity, it's standing out from the one next door to it it being um, spectacular for the authorities and government to say that is a design of choice or our developer of choice or our builder of choice. That's all part of the story and part of the journey. And we need great partners to collaborate with to get these outcomes. I guess, you know, I don't want to be unfair on Canberra from a historic point of view, but 
every time I've ever gone down to stay in Canberra, I have to be honest with you, I've, I haven't enjoyed the accommodation. I won't name the names, but probably most people know the hotels I'm talking about. They were nice, they worked, they weren't too expensive, but you're actually making a change there. So um, Fender Castellides is designing stuff that sort of you'd expect to see in Sydney or could easily see in Tokyo. I mean, it's cool stuff. It's incredible and often I like to say that we're a Canberra business, but we're performing on the national and global stage, that our product that we sell or we invite people to stay in Canberra with is is at a global stage. But why did you level. make that decision? I mean, where where did Nick George Arliss or whoever it was, maybe Mrs. George Arliss, but who sat down and said, fuck this, we're not going to do what everyone else has always done. We're not going to build a, an average building because it might be cheaper. Um, we're going to do something that's actually going to challenge the status quo down here. I mean, why did you make that decision? Where did that come from? Look, we've been ambitious in a lot of the projects we've worked on. So we've, of the top 10 tallest towers in Canberra, eight of them are ours. We're delivering the project Republic we mentioned earlier. There's three of the tallest towers in Canberra on that particular project, 113, 110 metres and 100 metres. They're tall buildings for Canberra. So they're aspirational projects. So they can't be run of the mill. They are going to stand out and sculpt the landscape. So we needed to, to do something more to well, make why, it world-class. Why, why, what's driving you? What, what, what got Nick George Ellis to think, fuck, I've got to do this. I'm not, I'm not going to do what everyone else does. Look, you know one of the things that I've always done very well is listen to the right people. So I do listen to the content that people say, and a lot of them can be collaborators, but in fact I've got some of the best people working for me. And interestingly enough, a couple of people years ago asked me, why don't I have an advisory board or a board that I uh, should be influenced by. And my comment was, if they're smart enough to advise me, then they should be working with me. And I hate using the word for me because, in fact, it's more of a collaborative environment. So I've got, I have some of the best people in Canberra and in Australia working for us in construction, in development, in sales, in marketing, in hotels, in finance, in capital procurement, in customer care, in all of it. So there's, there is an emphasis in our group of people. And because we're not a factory that has a machinery that creates things, it's all about the people. So how do we train them? How do we nurture them? How do we allow them to grow? What's the succession planning like? And that's not something that I've learned. It's something that I've had to do through the years and experience and drag people up the ranks and create opportunity for them. And then for that person to progress within their career, they've had to do the same thing. So there's always been this culture of succession planning and Interestingly enough, the best people that do work for us have been there the longest and, in fact, grown with the company as well. It's really important because it's all very good to have great ideas. It's great to have great creative people around you like the architects that we were talking about earlier who design beautiful buildings. It's great for you to have a good reputation with all the government authorities, the regulatory authorities who have to approve these things and allow you to do it. And it's also good that you've got customers at the end of the day who want to buy your stuff and or stay at your hotels. But really, to be frank with you, you've got to actually deliver and deliveries about people and culture. Now, I have had the experience of sitting with your senior management, which, by the way, I say to these listeners, when, he's, when we talk about senior management, we're not talking about five people. We're talking about 25 senior people, and there's a whole heap of people, I think like 800 people or something worth you at any one time in Canberra. That's, well, 800 direct employees. 800 direct employees. So we're talking about a pretty big business, but we've got 25 senior management people, if that's the way to put it. How do you actually, A, recruit these individuals, B, keep them interested and rewarded and finally retain them from leaving and going to somebody else who might be a competitor of yours or alternatively setting up on their own. How do you you go through that process, recruiting them, exciting them and retaining them? They're the three key pieces. Do you know it's interesting when you meet these types of people, um, their drivers are interesting. They're not driven by money and money can't be the driver in any of these situations. They need to be ambitious people. They want to be inspired by their peers. They want to be inspired by myself. They want to inspire someone. How about recognition? How is that? Where's that? Recognition without a doubt, being recognized with their achievements. Now, one of the things that we easily recognize are these buildings we deliver. So everyone walks away, every single person in the business and says, I built that. So I worked on that project. We certainly, we celebrate every aspect of it. It's not just celebrating it, you know, having a drink and cheering ourselves on. It's celebrating the different aspects of it. And one of the one of the things that I think a lot of people find working for me is that job satisfaction. They know what they can celebrate. They, in fact, understand I know their job. Because the business has been built from nothing that I've 
in fact, done every job that everyone in the business has done. I have worked on a site as a labourer. I have been a foreman. I have been a salesperson. I have been a finance manager. I have managed accountants. All those aspects I've done, so I can really appreciate that. And I think there's that culture of recognition amongst your peers. It's not just celebrating it as a hoo-ha, but it's more about the celebration within your groups, within your team environments. And the collaborative environment of every cog is critical. There's not one cog that's more important than the other because for the whole machine to move, everyone has to work together. Everyone has to do their piece for the puzzle. So there's got to be a rhythm associated with the business. The business has got to move with a rhythm. Who's driving the train? In other words, what are you looking out for? Like are you looking out for someone like a fallen angel? Are you looking out for, say, a problem over here in engineering or a problem over here in construction or a problem over here in maintenance or what are you looking out for? Or does it actually rise up in the business and you don't even have to look for it? It makes itself obvious. It does make itself obvious. So there's, I'll talk about being organic and strategic. Not, when I first started JERCON, a lot of the decisions I made were organic until they became strategic and really understood what our drivers were and where we wanted to be, what type of business we wanted to be. But one of the things that never stops being organic is the rising superstar. You know, you can try and drive people and pull them up, but there's these rising superstars in the business and you can identify some of them really quite young. And in fact, some people you might say, that young 23-year-old, I can't wait to see them at 33. I can't wait to see them at 43 and so on. And I really do want to have those people there for their life. The culture that we can breed into them, their work ethic, their commitment to the job, the influence they can have on their peers because they've been there for so long is, is just so powerful and you don't realize it till it happens. And because we're a business that's only 13 years old, you start to see these influences in the business that have been there for five years or 10 years. So I talk about it being organic. It's because I don't, and, and interesting enough, we talk about leadership that today in modern businesses or modern organizations, a CEO only has five or six years worth of tenure, mm. which to be honest is not that long. And I can't understand how you could achieve what you really can in five yeah. or six years. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I look at it and say, now after 13 years, I'm starting to understand what these influences can do. You use the word interesting a lot. And what that tells me is, well, it doesn't, maybe it's not correct, but are you a naturally curious dude? Like, I mean- Very curious. Yeah. Very curious. And I love learning things, in yeah. fact. So one thing, the, the thirst for knowledge keeps you excited, keeps mm. you um, interested every day. Not everybody, but does that's a driver for you. Well, I like learning new things. I yeah. like meeting new people and- are you an inquirer or are you a listener? Both. You know, I, I prefer to be the quiet person in the room and understand what's going on first so you and listen. foremost. Yep. Definitely. Then? Well, then you'd ask questions or inquire. Because, you know, like people talk about networking. I mean, sort of one way of doing that is networking. Um, you know, networking with people who you think have got something you can get from them. But you've got to have a natural curiosity in the first place. I mean, people who use the word interesting to me, I find interesting, but they use the word interesting to me because they're always questioning and querying and strategizing and thinking around the concept. And to do so, you've got to have inputs. That's other people or something telling you stuff. I mean, you might be digitally based. You might be looking up stuff on the internet all the time, or you might be surrounding yourself with people. Kerry Packer was like that. He was always asking questions, always asking questions, like never telling you anything. He'd just be asking questions of everybody, but influential people. He was, in other words, people who are good at their job. So he would say to the head cameraman at the rugby league, um, or at the cricket, for example, um, how do we improve the viewing game? In other words, what would you do if you're in my position to make this a better game to be watched? How can I influence the change in the game? That's the sort of stuff Kerry did. He always used the word interesting. Always. You use the word interesting. Have you always been a curious kid or, or is this something more you developed as you got excited with the adventure? Look, I've always been quite curious and inquisitive. And interestingly enough, people that work with JERCON and in fact bring new ideas to the table is quite exciting because new ideas, they're new, they're fresh. Where do they fit in to the greater scheme? Sometimes they don't work and sometimes they do. How do you trial it? How do you uh, give it a go, have a go? Uh, how do you empower that person to, to, to think of these ideas? How do you create an environment that inspires people to come up with new ideas? And then once we've experienced all this, who pulls it together? Is it me that pulls it together or is it me or am I working closely with people that pull it together? The notion of learning new things or discovering new strategies or coming up with ideas that people haven't thought about is incredible. Now, one of the flattering things that we find in the marketplace is that we do something and more often than not, 
six months later, everyone else is doing it. Well, it's the best form of admiration, emulation. Well, look, and, and some people sort of say, oh, what do you think uh, you should be doing in the marketplace? And the simple answer to that, well, if you see me doing it, Whatever I do next. Whatever I do next is yeah. what's got to happen. And then the I'll market. do next and next, next, you keep following. And that's leadership in a market sense. What I'm getting out of this, and because I mean, I did start off saying to you that the personality of Geocon ultimately would be the personality of Nick Georgialis. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but, and, and I think people listening to this, you should understand this is how it works. Um, what I'm thinking what I'm getting out of this is strategic and interesting, curious creative and strategic. So, you know, that's sort of like becoming Geocon's personality. I mean, I have attended one of your meetings. Everybody there is, they're also curious. They're also excited about the curiosity that Geocon explores when it comes to the architecture or the changes or the tallest towers or the coolest looking hotel and then very strategic in terms of how you deliver it. I mean, that's that's a personality trait I think I can see from this discussion coming out of you. I never really had this had a chance to have this sort of discussion where it's, it's on my side of the table and I'm asking the questions here. And, uh, and I want to ask you, so this is a bit more mundane now, let's say I'm on the other side of my buyer, why Canberra? Canberra is one of the untapped property markets. Why? why? Why would I buy? The asset class property to me is a resilient asset class, right? Let's just accept that as a proposition. That, that's always been my view, accept it as a proposition. But why Canberra? It's the most lucrative property market why? in the country. Tell me it why. It has all the attributes you need. It has the lowest unemployment at 3%. It has the highest paid average salary. When we get into property, the lowest vacancy rate at under 1% vacancy. Thanks to government. Thank you to government. 7% yields. Tax. What does that mean? What do you mean? I get 7% return on my rent? You get 7% return rent on your acquisition price. So I can be positively geared. It's the only state, it's the only city in Australia that has positively geared property. And Mark, we've spoken about this. Negative gearing is not a good thing. Buying property- That's a shit thing, I hate it. At a loss, is not a good thing. Why would you buy property just to get a tax deduction? Because you're going to get a tax deduction because actually you lose the money. Well, it defies that, fundamentals. But it also, it's one of the reasons why government probably has such a focus on property, it makes it so hard for investors and mums and dads to buy property. But that doesn't apply to Canberra. It's in fact more expensive to rent a property than it is to own a property in the ACT. So first home buyers should be coming out of the blocks to buy property, but there's a bit of negative sentiment there. But they still are buying more in the ACT per capita than any other state or any other city. Investors all over Australia and internationally now are noticing Canberra. We're putting it on the map. It's one of Australia's only emerging cities. It used to be a big town and now it's becoming a city. International airport, light rail infrastructure, the projects we're delivering, 110, 113 metre towers, mega projects, glass towers that would fit in any mega city globally. But, but then there's also more to it just, just from being some of the highest yielding some of the lowest vacancy rates, there's also tax deductions that come out of it that people aren't aware of. It's the only city in Australia that stamp duty is a tax deduction the day you spend it. So it doesn't form part of your cost base. When you buy a property, that stamp duty is a deduction. The depreciation is higher on your total overall purchase price than any other city. And on top of that, our average price is half a million dollars for an apartment, which kills it in any other major city. So, so in other words, the demand, the aggregate demand for your product, and this is what every business should be trying to achieve, is in the sweet spot. So you're delivering because you've got the team that delivers, you can deliver into the sweet spot. And that they're the fundamentals of any good business. I mean, you've got to find the sweet spot where the demand is and have the ability to deliver straight into that sweet spot. All those things that you said are the hot points why you should buy Canberra, what are the fundamentals around Canberra, make sense. So I should buy in Canberra, okay, so, but why Geocon? Well, we're not delivering the run-of-the-mill projects that you might see out in your suburban areas in major cities. We are delivering world-class buildings. But I also have a very different view on property. And in fact, I think it's quite unsophisticated in Australia. And Mark, you've heard me relate it to buying a car 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, buying a car, you had to drive your old car in, you had to buy, buy a car, negotiate it, take it over the Red Joe pits, organise your finance, sell your old car. Today you drive your old car in, sign some paperwork and drive a brand new car out and everything's sorted for you. So we aren't just looking to sell property, we're looking to transform property ownership for Australians because we want to do the same thing for apartment buyers. We want to take all that stress and risk away. So we're committed not just to selling an apartment but changing that experience and taking all the risk away from it. And it is a difficult task. It's the most expensive thing anyone will ever buy in their life, a property. And it is... It's intimidating. Uh, 
banks and financiers, valuers? Is the builder reputable? Is the developer reputable? What's their design like? What's the amenity like? All those aspects of delivery, I think not many people are focused on in the country. And we're very focused on changing that experience. So mortgage broking, construction, uh, our sales business, property management, and the customer care team. We'd be one of the few companies in the country that has a customer care team to look after the needs of our buyers. So that experience and that commitment to transforming that is part of, I think, what attracts people to Jaircom to work there and certainly attracts people to buy from us as well. Well, I normally give everyone an opportunity to ask me a question, but I'm not going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to build the question for you and I'm going to answer it for you. Mark, in two words, how could you tie back all the stuff that we just discussed into two words that represent the Geocom brand? And I'm going to go back to the two words I said five minutes ago. It's interesting and it's strategic. Geocon is interesting and strategic as a brand. Strategic in that you solve all the problems, buying a bit of property. And interesting because what you're creating is an interesting product. It's different. So that's why Geocon and all the fundamentals of Canberra, well, they sort of, they're constants. They've been there for 30 years. And all the fundamentals about property just generally, to me, it's the, probably the best asset class still, the best, particularly today, the best asset class in this country. So, um, you know, I think for listeners of this podcast, it's been a very good lesson around brand. I think it's been a very good lesson about how the personality of the founder and the owner of the brand can carefully be crafted into becoming the personality of the individual that sits behind it, you know, the proprietor. And it's been an interesting discussion with you, Nick, because finally I've been able to work out in my mind, what does a brand stand for? As I said, it's the, your curiosity, the Nick George Arles curiosity has created an interesting business, creates interesting property, creates interesting outcomes, different to everybody else, adventurous, different. And also it's a strategic outcome. So, mate, thanks very much for coming out from Canberra. I'll see you soon. Wish you all the very best. And uh, I hopefully my Roosters um, meet you, your team, the Canberra Raiders in the grand final. And if so, we'll both go to the game, assuming there's no coronavirus issues. We'll both go to the game and we'll watch the outcome. Well, I was looking at the odds on that, so there could be a good chance of it. And Mark, thank you. That was unreal. See you, mate. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.